And welcome to another edition of what I like to call From Nonsense to God Sense, as we take a look at the things of this world through a biblical perspective. And it is that time of year, tax time, although I do think that uh, the government has pushed back some of the uh, tax liability responsibilities, such as filing and things like that. But uh, death, taxes, and life uncertainties um, is what we're looking at, life's uncertainties. And Dan Delzell is with me joining me this week as usual. And Dan, it's kind of an interesting time to uh, bring up this topic because it is it is a tax time, you know, approaching April 15th. But like I said, you know, we I uh, think we've got some uh, some deadlines pushed back due to the coronavirus. Uh, death obviously is taking a, a front and center stage as far as the toll from the virus. And then also life's uncertainties. We're just not sure where we're going to be in the future. We're not sure where we're going to be next week. There's people that have job loss. There's people that are, you know, have uh, health issues. And so there's a lot of life's uncertainties that's going on. And it's an article that you wrote a couple years ago. It's on the Christian Post. Dan is an author at the Christian Post, and he is a pastor at a church in Papillion, Nebraska. And it's just, uh, it's just that time of year, that season of life, I guess, as they say, Dan, that we're just facing life's uncertainties right now. Well, Son, I tell you, great to be with you again. And I think you have just, uh, you know, found a, a perfect uh, topic for today because, as you say, um, that article although it was written a couple of years ago. It, it does deal with these issues that come up every year in terms of our taxes. Deals with issue the issue, of course, of death, which is a a, a, a certain issue, you know, for for every human being. Uh, and then also the uncertainty now with the coronavirus and all of that. So, um, yeah, what a what a great choice today. I'm looking forward to talking about this with you today, Son. I guess the biggest thing that we really have to kind of keep in mind especially for people that are believers and even for those that might not believe is that earth or our time here on earth is very short compared to eternity. And what we're going through right now, even though it's very difficult and very hard, it's just going to be a blink of an eye when it comes to all eternity. And I think you even write in the article that what we do here now prepares us for the afterlife, for life in heaven. And it's how we react to things now. And so when we're facing life's uncertainties, it's very hard to, to have the character to kind of continue to stay strong and to do those things that we need to do because we get in that panic that we've talked about. We get that irrational behavior that comes from the fear, and we want to kind of take care of ourselves. But now is a really good opportunity to, to invest into other people and to do those things that are going to prepare us for life in heaven. Well, that's a, a terrific thought, Son, and I think we're seeing that happen. You know, I, I read a couple of days ago that, um, you know, they found that more people are, are praying during this, and of course, you would expect that. Anytime, you know, we as human beings encounter uh, challenges that are severe, um, people do tend to turn more to prayer and, and to the Lord, and, uh, and, and so I think it does help us to, to focus more on the things uh, beyond this world, um, uh, on the things of eternity, on the things that, you know, that the Bible really brings uh, front and center. You know, God's perspective on this thought, of course, is eternal. God had, had no beginning and will have no end. When you and I and every human being was created, we were created with an immortal soul, and that's why we sense, you know, eternity within us. Uh, because as the Bible says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what he has done from beginning to end. Uh, but, but our God is eternal. And so, of course, his love letter to his children, which is what the Bible is, um, it's going to deal with things 
from the eternal perspective. You know, if, if, if a parent, let's say, were writing a letter to uh, a child and, and you, were, you, you were writing this letter, say, toward the end of your life, you would have a lifetime of experiences to be able to convey and whatever you'd want to convey, you know, in that letter. You know, sometimes we even hear, Son, of, of parents who uh, have been struck with some sort of maybe terminal illness. And, and so in their love for their kids, you know, sometimes parents will either write a letter or a series of letters. Even I've heard people do for, say, like the birthdays of, of their children in the years ahead or leave a video um, you know, message. I mean, what could be more heart wrenching than that, more touching and moving than that? But my point is something like that is done with, with a, a much broader perspective of life and death. And in God's case, uh, you know, he, he's given us the Bible from his eternal perspective. And here we are living in this little micro dot of time that is just like a blip. You know, the Bible says we are like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so I think, Son, to go to your point, what the coronavirus can, can help us to do a bit is to just take stock in what matters the most. Because we all tend to get wrapped up at times and sometimes way too wrapped up in things that don't matter a whole lot at all. And uh, the more we can, you know, maintain that eternal perspective as we address not only the certainties of life, of, of life and death, but also how do we um, get through the uncertainties? Well, uh, you get through the uncertainties by just placing your eyes upon the unchanging uh, character of God, upon Christ, who the Bible says, you know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so none of us are strong enough in a world of uncertainty, in a world of the coronavirus, to be able to stand strong in our own strength. Uh, you know, this is the sort of thing, Son, that can knock, uh, you know, the feet out from under any any person, uh, physically, uh, also emotionally. Um, fear is a real uh, enemy. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, those who trust in the name of the Lord uh, have a very, very uh, strong friend indeed in their corner, a Savior, a Lord. You know, here as we're coming up on Palm Sunday, how this Sunday and, and Holy Week and then Easter, um, you know, it's really amazing son, how all of this is converging now, you know, and, and so it'll be very interesting to see kind of how, you know, not only the church, but also the world kind of, um, you know, how, how does the world going to look at, 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 uh, uh, Holy Week and, and Easter this year, uh, but I guess most importantly, you know that the Christians, um, you know, really make the most of this with our with our celebration of Christ, but also our loving and gracious witness to those who don't know the Lord, because uh, you know, as we know in the Bible, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And once you're saved, you know, your eternity is provided for in paradise. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Palm Sunday and Easter coming up. I know that. Um like you mentioned, people are out there maybe seeking, maybe praying more, maybe looking for hope. You know, maybe this is an opportunity for us to be able to, you know, spread the gospel message because it is that time of year. They say Christmas and Easter are really the two times that, you know, non-believers show up to church because that's what they're supposed to do, right? Because it's the religious yeah. holidays. And so now with this uh, added fear, this added life's uncertainties, this added coronavirus, 
you know, on people seeking hope, seeking some sort of refuge, seeking some sort of trust in something that's going to get them through. Maybe now is a time because people might be more attuned or attentive to a gospel message, or at least to sharing what is keeping us calm and what we have our faith in and what we think is going to bring us through because it's just naturally that time of year with the uh, religious holiday of Easter and Palm Sunday. Maybe people can be more in tune to wanting to listen and hear, and maybe it provides an opportunity for us to uh, share some things. Well, absolutely, Son. You know, um, there's that saying, you know, for those uh, who uh, have, have gone through war, you know, that there are no atheists in foxholes. And, uh, you know, I think a similar thing can be uh, said of, of something like a pandemic. You know, I, I think there may be fewer atheists, let's say, uh, during a pandemic than, than uh, at other times, because those who are kind of on the fringe, let's say, Son, those who are kind of like, you know, uh, maybe maybe they dabble in Christianity, you know, and by that, you know, uh, maybe, maybe they show up at church, you know, every once in a while, uh, maybe open the Bible every once in a while, but they don't really have a connection with Christ that really is meaningful in their life. Um, you know, it's not really something where they know that uh, not only is Christ their Savior and heaven is their home, but God has given them a mission here to go and make disciples. They're not they haven't grown. I mean, and, and so, you know, some who dabble with Christianity, they have not even yet been born again. Uh, you know, they've, they've not yet repented of their sin and trusted Christ to save them. Others have, have they, they, they've made it in, uh, but then they, they, all of a sudden they kind of stalled, you know, and, and so they haven't really grown. And so um, whatever a person's situation, the good news, Son, uh, here amidst this pandemic, the good news is that God will meet a person wherever they're at. Um, I mean, my goodness, I mean, if a person even, you know, had the coronavirus and, and was on, you know, a ventilator and, and was not being expected to live, and maybe even Son had been left all alone in one of these tents we've seen, uh, you know, like in New York City and elsewhere, I mean, what a, what a just a horrible thought of, of people, and we've heard this, of course, in Italy and in other places, and you know, in New York City, you know, as hundreds and hundreds of people are dying in a day, um, then we see, you know, the way that, you know, they're, they're, they're taken away, uh, you know, sometimes from their, from their home. I, you know, I heard one, uh, I think it might've been a nurse, uh, some a medical professional was just saying, you know, how, how sad it was when they, you know, they go in sometimes to maybe one of these apartments and they have to take a loved one who has the coronavirus. And especially if it's, you know, someone who's really up there in years or, or, uh, you know, maybe has some other, uh, you know, pre-existing conditions and things. Um, many times they realize, you know, they are taking this loved one from this home where these folks will never get to see one another on this side of heaven. You know, they'll never see one another on earth again. And, and so for that sort of thing to be going on day in, day out, um, this certainly has to be a jolt to the, uh, to the atheistic uh, worldview, um, to the unbelieving worldview. This has to be a jolt to the system to say, man, you know, uh, when, when times were good, when I was rolling in the dough, when I ha- didn't have a worry in the world, and all I really needed to worry about was, you know, maybe uh, being critical of Christianity or whatever, um, maybe I do need to rethink this. And the last thing I'll say, Son, I just was uh, working today with my son and, uh, you know, editing. Uh, we got a little video for my online message this Sunday, as, of course, as churches have, have moved things uh, online. But um, a terrific testimony um, from, a, uh, from a woman who had been an atheist her whole life, is now Christian, uh, and uh, there's, a, there's a website called Explore God, uh, and that's where this one comes from, but uh, just some wonderful resources out there of people who have made the transition, you know, who, uh, 
uh, have not been raised in, in, a, in a Christian home, have not been taught anything about Christ, but then through a, cer- a series of circumstances and events in their life, um, began to investigate the evidence, began to realize that Christianity truly is an evidence-based faith, that it's not a blind faith, that it's a faith in evidence, and, and that evidence points to the one who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So it's a great opportunity for evangelism right now, I think, Son, and to try to bring hope to a world that is just reeling and just shaken, kind of just knocked down to the, to the mat, you know, by this, uh, by this uh, coronavirus pandemic right now. Yeah, we've talked about in the past how it's time for, our, you know, we never know when our last day is going to be. You know, as we as Christians and anybody should be ready to meet God because we don't know. I often kind of commented that, you know, living in LA on the LA freeways, you know, that could be a time where we don't know just driving the LA freeways with the craziness that goes on. It could be our last day. Um, you know, but now it's really front and center because of the virus, you know, every day you turn on the news and if it is trustworthy information, you see more and more deaths because of the virus. You see more and more people getting sick, which could lead to complications, you know, and and we're talking about people that are elderly. We're talking about people, you know, I've read stories of people that are healthy, you know, no underlying issues and they get sick and pass away from the virus. And so now really is a time when we talk about life's uncertainties and death. Now really is a time where we need to check ourselves because we just don't really know when our last day is going to be. We've got this invisible disease that we're fighting, this invisible enemy we can't see, and we might pick it up and not know it. And then, um, you know, so when we have a self-examination and we make that comment, you know, hey, you should be ready because you never know when your last day is going to be. I think this is yeah. a time where we really need to kind of reflect and see what are we talking about? What's our life like? Who are we serving? Because we talked in previous uh, podcasts, you can't serve two masters. Which master are we no. serving? And even for those that, you know, in this time of the religious holiday of Easter and of Palm Sunday, that might be more in tune to, to religion or God because of that time of year naturally, maybe now really is yeah. a good time to kind of figure out where we are and what we're thinking about and what we're doing internally because we truly are in a time where we don't know if today is going to be our last day or not. Well, that's exactly right, Son. You know, the signs are all around us, and God is always reminding us. He's always giving us, you know, uh, just examples or illustrations. You know, it's interesting. Before you and I started this interview today, probably, you know, five minutes before we started, my wife um, showed me this pack of, like, five uh, masks that she had purchased at some point. I think when she was doing some painting, she never opened it up. It was probably a few years ago or whenever it was. And, uh, we, you know, we kind of talked, we haven't, you know, no one in our family has yet worn a mask going outside, but, uh, we're going to the store or wherever, but, uh, you know, they're starting to talk even now here in the last couple of days about, you know, should everybody be wearing a mask? Well, it's kind of interesting that, um, that, that would come up right now, uh, because to me, it's, it's somewhat similar to a Bible verse song. And I opened right when you and I are getting ready to start, I opened up my Bible and opened a revelation here, um, and in chapter 16, it says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. And so um, what a beautiful thought there that just as people today are seeking to protect themselves and rightly so from the coronavirus with things like a mask and so forth, um, so also um, an individual needs to be clothed spiritually in order to stand before God one day, you know, Revelation talks about these in white robes. Who are they and where did they come from? These are they who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So when a person trusts Jesus as Savior, the blood of Christ is applied to your soul. Um, this is where the white robe comes in. This is where the forgiveness of sins comes in. 
And so when the Lord here in uh, Revelation 16 is, is warning, behold, I come like a thief, it's just what you were talking about a couple of minutes ago. We never know. We have to be ready. And then here it says, blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Because, son, what folks don't, many folks don't understand, and you and I wouldn't if it hadn't been for the Lord showing it to us in the Bible, but they don't understand that when they stand before God on Judgment Day, there's only two ways to stand before the Lord. You will either be naked, spiritually exposed. Now, I don't know if that necessarily be physically naked or not. It may very well be, um, but it won't matter. The shame will go far beyond whatever shame a person might feel from just being standing there naked, okay? Um, there, there's, there's, uh, the naked are those who do not have Christ covering them, and those who have their clothes covering them, the white robe, are those whose faith is in Christ alone, those who are trusting in Jesus as their Savior. So today is the day, side. as important as it might be for somebody to get a mask, I was talking to my wife, Tammy, about how, you know, I'm sure, you know, we'll, we'll probably wear those masks, and not that we're going out much at all, um, but, uh, you know, we'll probably wear those. Um, you know, at some point here, but how much more important will it be that, that everyone consider the white clothes that Jesus offers, uh, to the soul, uh, the, the forgiveness of sin, because I'll tell you, son, we're all going to stand before the Lord on judgment day. Uh, it's appointed that a man wants to die. And after that, the judgment, we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, that day is coming. And if, it, if this pandemic, you know, as unpleasant as it is, son, if it can help more people prepare for Judgment Day, they are going to be singing God's praises throughout eternity, and they're going to be thanking the Lord, among other things, that, Lord, thank you that you used that pandemic that I would have never thought to ever want in my life. And, and, and it did bring death. It did bring disease. But, Lord, you used it to wake me up. Um, and, and that's even what this verse in Revelation, you know, talks about. You know, it, it talks about, uh, a person, you know, being awake, staying awake. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him. You know, there's a verse in Ephesians that says, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And, and there might be somebody listening right now, son, to whom the Lord is saying, wake up. You know, wake up from your slumber. Uh, you've been putting your trust in material things during your career or, or even in your family or whatever your goals are, your hobbies, your retirement, you know, your, your, your uh, uh, retirement funds, uh, whatever it is. You know, put your hope in Christ. He is a rock that will, will never crumble. He is the one that will bring you into paradise one day, and he will carry you through this life. So, son, it's a day for um, and calling people, inviting people, come to the Lord and be saved. And um, so that's what we're praying. And, and uh, you know, one thought, uh, and then I'll let you respond, but uh, one thought I had too, son, it'd be interesting to, to get your thoughts on this. It's rather interesting also today to see a few churches that are not heeding the um, the guidelines and some of the interesting and even sad things that are happening in some cases uh, for a few churches, just a few that I've read of anyway, that are still meeting right now. And, and um, you know, so that that's a whole other, you know, element to this story. But, but it also has uh, implications and, and questions for us today. Yeah, I think some of those churches, you know, I think we need to heed to uh, Revel- uh, not Revelations, Romans, you know, where, you know, God gives us the government and that we should give to Caesar. And I know that's kind of mixing things up. But, you know, in this place, 
giving to Caesars. I think we should abide by what the, you know, the government tells us. And if they say that gathering, especially in a day when technology, like you mentioned, you're going to be able to provide, you know, uh, services online. And I know not everybody has online capability because I know some students that don't even have online capability to continue with their classes this semester in, 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 in college. Um, but yeah, you know, I think we, I think the church can lead by example. You know, you talk about putting your money where your mouth is and we, and we preach or, you know, pastors preach about, you know, having to respect the government and, and giving to Caesar and, you know, making sure that we're the good example for others. And I think this is an opportunity, just another example where we can be uh, an example for other people. You know, I was going to ask you when you brought that up, a lot of evangelists have said that there's going to be a great awakening uh, in America. They thought, you know, they thought either Mm -hmm. when you talk about end times, and I don't want to get into end times because that's too, uh, not, not the conversation for now, but they think it's either going to be there's going to be a great revival in America. Or we're going to be obliterated mm-hmm. off the map. And um, yeah. because, you know, most of Revelation doesn't include uh, America, from my understanding, uh, the United right. States, as far right. as, you know, the, the theology of it. But they've talked yeah. about a great revival. And then, you know, we've often seen times where God in the Bible kind of disciplines, punishes his you know people, the Israelites, because mm-hmm. of the stuff that they've done. And he punishes them on the masses. And the reason yeah. for that is to correct behavior and to bring them back into the fold because, you know, we're sheep. Sheep of Jesus were the lambs, and he's the shepherd. Yeah, uh, I remember back in, I think it was the 94 earthquake uh, that hit uh, the San Fernando Valley. And a lot of people, you know, at the time were speculating because, you know, the uh, adult film business was pretty much centered out there in the San Fernando Valley. And everyone was like, oh, this is God's punishment and wrath and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to bring mm-hmm. people back. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so a little bit of that conversation I'm starting to hear again. Not too much, right. but it's starting to creep in. Is this something that God could use to bring about a, a, um, a, a, an awakening? Is it something that he's punishing us? I mean, when people talk about that, how can we respond to, to that type of conversation? Because it gets tricky because it gets yeah. so wacky at times, but yet is there yeah. some truth to the fact that maybe God's using something like this, like you mentioned, to, you know, to bring back a, a, a revival and to bring people mm-hmm. back to him? Yeah, great question, Son. And as you say, a lot of people are pondering these sorts of questions and thoughts. And, you know, uh, I've shared a little bit with with some folks in recent weeks that, um, uh, you know, uh, I I don't believe uh, that, you know, the coronavirus is God, you know, punishing us. Although, I mean, certainly, you know, uh, the Lord might have something different to say in that. So I certainly don't have the corner on that. I can't speak for the Lord on that. I can only, you know, uh, you know, just offer up my my sense of what might be going on. Um, but my sense is this: when we look at God punishing in the Bible, for example, whether it be, you know, in the case of the Great Flood and and the worldwide flood, or whether it be the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, it's pretty expansive. It, it, you know, it, it's pretty much. I mean, any area that God wants to obliterate it, 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 with a, a, a divine act of punishment. I mean, he has no uh, lack of power to do that. Um, you know, when, when Jesus came, uh, we know he came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so in, in many ways, Son, I, I kind of see us today, you know, we're, we're, we're in a day where um, the ark, as it were, is, is available. Um, the ark, which Noah's ark had one door on it. Today, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you might picture, let's say maybe there would have been some days that Noah was building the ark. Well, let's say that maybe they had a really bad storm or some really bad weather, some really unpleasant weather. I would kind of equate that to like the coronavirus. You're going to get periods of that before the big one hits. 
And, and, and the big one in the Old Testament would have certainly been like the Great Flood, you know, in Noah's day. Um, and, and again, Sodom and Gomorrah on more of a, a localized level. Uh, but the big one in the Bible is, is when Jesus comes back, um, the, the great day of judgment, um, you know, when, uh, you know, people are separated, uh, you know, the sheep from the goats and, and believers from unbelievers and believers are welcomed into heaven. And, and the Lord will say, well done, a good and faithful servant. And then to the unbelievers, depart from me. I never knew you. And, and then they, they are cast into hell. So the coronavirus, although some people have, have, have described it as like a hell on earth, and, it's, and it certainly would be for, for those for a, a short period of time who are going through just intense uh, pain with it and so forth. In, in that sense, it's maybe just a little uh, bit of a glimpse of, of what, you know, what will come to the one who faces the full wrath of God. Um, but, you know, on the cross, Jesus bore the punishment that we deserve. And today God offers anyone a pardon uh, and, and, and freedom from the penalty of their own sin. So I don't look at the coronavirus as, as really divine punishment, although, like I say, uh, if the Lord has a different word on that, um, you know, I'm certainly not speaking with absolute certainty on, on knowing for sure what, what it is or what it isn't. But we do know certainly it is, it, it's the result of sin in the world. Sin brings death, sin brings disease. Um, you know, there have been plagues in the past, you know, there, there, there is, uh, you know, this in, in the world and it is, um, uh, it does make life miserable, but it also shows, uh, that, you know, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. This is a reminder that the kingdom of God lives within, uh, the heart of every believer. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you and, and the kingdom of God will be in paradise. You know, Jesus didn't come here to make America his kingdom or Europe his kingdom or, or North Korea his kingdom. He came here for his own kingdom, which exists not in some geographic area today uh, or, or, or some geographic location. No, the kingdom of God exists in the heart. And when Christ comes back, he promised that he's going to, to take his children with him uh, to paradise. That is the ultimate kingdom of God. And, and, and you know, we're all prone to want to make uh, you know, paradise on earth and think that somehow we can just have it, you know, be perfect here on earth and heaven on earth. But you know what? That really hasn't ever been um, something we've seen play out in the history of the world, because just when things start to look, you know, relatively calm and peaceful and everything, well, then war breaks out or something like this breaks out. So um, it's just really a, a miracle that, that um, you know, everybody hasn't already died from the coronavirus, that God has allowed us all, you know, some more time on earth to uh, recognize our creator, worship him, serve him, serve others. And um, beyond that, I don't know that we really have much definitive uh, insight on, you know, why God's allowing the coronavirus at this time, other than just he will use this to turn people to him. Dan Delzell with me. We're talking about death, taxes, and life's uncertainties, which is really all coming together right now at this period of time in the year, you know, because April 15th is tax time. And even though we do have some deadlines pushed back and filing restraints taken off and things like that, we still are dealing with the whole idea of uncertainty due to the coronavirus. And obviously with that, people have been dying from it. You know, um, in life's uncertainties, we have people that are dealing with job loss, and even though it might be temporary because of, you know, the essentials versus non-essentials, what it's an essential job that you have to go to work because, you know, governments want us to stay home. 
uh, we're dealing with, you know, the financial aspect from job loss and even from, you know, businesses not being able to get people to come in to patronize them. And so they have to, you know, then let go of other people because they don't have the money for it. We've got a a stimulus package that's coming out. You know, we've got all this stuff that's going on. And again, it's just life's uncertainties. We don't know what's going to happen. And so there's panic, which has led to irrational behavior, such as hoarding toilet paper and stuff like that. You write in the article, a thankful heart is the only way to face life's uncertainties without getting bogged down by the latest crisis in the culture or the pressures you face at home or on the job. What do you mean? How does a thankful heart help us face life's uncertainties? Well, I think what we find, Son, is that when we as Christians make the choice to rejoice in the Lord. And I don't just say that merely as some, you know, pious platitude or, you know, something that Christians are supposed to say or do, but, but as a very practical, um, just um, uh, attribute of, of Christian discipleship, but it also takes cooperation. That's cooperating with God on that. By us choosing to be thankful and focusing on that, that's a way that we're able then to do what the Bible says is to take every thought captive. And, and so it's not easy to do. Uh, we, we all fall far short of, of the goal on that. Um, you know, the Bible says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, that, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, and yet I think we all would admit, well, you know, I kind of, I'm not always joyful and, and I, I don't necessarily pray all the time. And, 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 you know, there are a lot of times I'm not giving thanks. I'm grumbling and complaining. Well, then there's a place to start. Okay. So what am I grumbling and complaining about? Well, uh, Lord, help me to to reverse that a uh, practice by choosing to give you thanks even when I don't feel like it. And, and I think that's where, son, um, we, we do have um, a lot to say in terms of what our attitude is going to be. And, and, and on a related point, you know, not only is, is choosing to be thankful so critical, but it's also a day where, you know, Christians certainly shouldn't throw common sense out the window, you know, and, and that kind of goes back to... Um, that, that issue of, of, you know, certain pastors who are maybe, you know, having, having their large gatherings still go on. I read this week of a pastor who is, I believe, in maybe Illinois. Uh, I could have the state wrong, but, um, but he was, no, Pennsylvania, I believe. And he's planning a, uh, a blowout Easter service, uh, almost like a Woodstock. And, and, and it's very, it's very um, tragic to see now what, what's happening with that. So there's this Pentecostal preacher, uh, Rodney Brown, um, and so he was arrested in Florida because he had a service and people gathered, okay? So now this guy in Pennsylvania said he's kind of doing it in a way as kind of a tribute to Rodney Brown and that, you know, he never thought we'd live in a day where the government would be telling us when we can and can't worship. Okay, I get all that, okay? And I think most Christians would say, yes, at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, we're serving God as our ultimate authority. We must obey God rather than men. Yes, that's true. At the same time, where in the Bible does it say that if you're going to be a faithful Christian, um, you need to throw common sense out the window and become a fanatic. Now, Oswald Chambers addressed this beautifully in the most powerful devotional ever written by almost for his highest. He has so many gems in there, son, but one of them is this. He says, faith in antagonism to... Um, uh, faith and antagonism to common sense is fanaticism, and, and common sense and antagonism to faith is rationalism. In other words, if you say, I'm going to live by faith and forget common sense, you become a fanatic. 
you say, well, I know my, my child is sick, but I don't think God wants us to take my, our child to a doctor. We're just going to pray for our child here at home. Okay, well, where's the common sense? I, I know that 99.9% of churches aren't gathering now because it's a wise thing uh, to do. But you know what? Nobody's going to tell us, certainly not the government. Nobody's going to tell us we're, we're going to go ahead and do it. So, so maybe what that pastor needs to do then, Son, is, is not so much look at it like, well, the government's telling you that, although that is wise advice from, you know, from leaders, um, you know, who are speaking in, in, in government uh, uh, places and so forth. But, um, but look at it this way. Look at it. Well, what about all my Christian brothers and sisters who are doing that because it's the wise thing to do? So faith and antagonism to common sense is fanaticism, and common sense and antagonism to faith is rationalism. In other words, if I only live by common sense, well then, you know, I have no faith. I, I certainly can't call myself a Christian. Uh, I, I deny anything supernatural, okay? So you, you can't go off either end of that spectrum without becoming a fanatic or becoming a rationalist. And, and so Christians are able to navigate that by, the, by God's grace, and not throw common sense out the window, continue to walk by faith. You know, what's going to, what's going to be interesting, Son, is this, and this has yet to play out. I, I, I'm really waiting to see, and I don't know who, how this is going to play out, but I'm really waiting to see, you know, you know, when this thing does start to really slow down um, or even maybe almost die out uh, as we maybe move into the summer, how many churches, you know, are going to start to launch back into full-time gatherings and then how many will join them? I mean, these will be decisions that, Christians will be making in consultation with others and, and through prayer. But, but I just think that that, that, that pastor, uh, you know, I read of a church a couple of weeks ago, a Pentecostal church in Illinois. They had a service where they were reporting 42 got sick and then 10 had the coronavirus. Um, you know, and, and I'm hearing of other examples like that. Son. So it really grieves my heart to hear right now of, of Christians in this, in this climate, um, you know, meeting together and then using the, you know, what, what they've convinced themselves is the argument why we have to keep meeting because, you know, boy, the government is not going to tell us what to do. Well, you know, frankly, I think, I think the government, from what I've been able to tell, you know, his, his, for, I mean, there are exceptions to this, but, but I mean, we got people like Mike Pence in the government, you know, another, you know, and, and, and then, you know, he and, and President Trump, I haven't heard either one of them, you know, try to dictate to churches. Uh, what to do on this, but um, I think they're offering good guidelines, as are other wise people, and, and you, you, we just don't need fanaticism, and, and, the, and people suffer under fanaticism, people are dying under fanaticism, um, you know, I mean, these churches, we're, we're going to handle snakes, because the Bible says you can pick up snakes, and we're going to, every Sunday, we're going to handle snakes, well, you're going to have some people dying from it, too, you know, it doesn't mean you don't have faith, it just means you got to use common sense as well. Yeah, there's a jungle full of dead people at one time that followed a fanatic that uh, you know wanted to do his own thing, and and that's the yep, thing we have, you know that's the thing we have to do. I remember you were, well, you're telling that stories. I remember a, a story during the Rodney King riots out here in Los Angeles, yeah. and yeah. Uh, a guy from a local church was a white guy, and he felt God mm-hmm. was telling him to go to the inner cities during the unrest and you know try to witness, and I and yeah. it didn't go well. Uh, no, uh, you know, no, not well at no. all. He got beat up and attacked. No. And I start, I started thinking this was, you know, way back, you know, I was, I remember what, how old I was, but I was really young, you know, younger yeah. at the time, you know, adult young. Yeah. And yeah. I was thinking at the time, like, okay, where, where, anywhere would God tell you to go to this place at this time? 
And I yeah. started, you know, and, and, and I don't, I'm not going to say that God to- told them or didn't tell them because I don't know. That's between right. him and God. But, right. I, but you know, common sense. Like right. you said, you throw in common sense. You're like, do you think really God really told them to go at that time during the unrest? Or like people that get into arguments on social media, like they take Facebook for an example where you can, you know, write yeah. exchanges. Nothing ever comes out of that except animosity and hostility. Are those really good places? And so, like you said, common sense really does have to take front and center when it comes to some of these choices that the church makes, that pastors make, because it is one, you want to protect the safety of your uh, people, you know, that the congregants. And the other thing too, is you do want to be the example, which brings me to a story, which I thought was kind of humorous at the time, but the pastor at the time didn't think it was so funny, but it does relate to today. So we were attending a church. I was attending the church younger and the pastor wanted to move to a common communion cup. And so I asked the question one time, I said, would God allow or, you know, because communion for people that may not know it's, it's, you know, in the yeah. Catholic church, it's a sacrament and, yeah. uh, you know, for, for, mo- for all church, it's a sacrament, but you know, in the, in the Catholic yeah. church, it's, it's an absolute must. And for other churches, it might be something to do once a month. So it just depends, right. but it's really, rem- uh, and maybe you can help explain it a little better in, 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 sure. in, a, in, a more professional terms, but basically it's a way for us to remember God dying on the, Jesus dying on the cross, yeah. raising again, shedding his blood. We drink the, whether it's wine or grape juice to remember his right. blood, the, the cracker mm-hmm. of the bread for his broken body. Yeah. And so it's really something that is really holy and something that is really yeah. reverent and significant in the Christian church. And so, yeah. um, with the, and, and most churches usually go with like a little plastic cup or something. And yeah. so there was a common cup that the pastor wanted to use. And so I asked yeah. the question, you know, what if somebody's sick, would God allow yeah. other people to get sick yeah. from drinking the common cup? Because that was one of my yeah. concerns. Yeah. I didn't, I wasn't a fan yeah. of it. Right. But, but it's almost like that question, and the, and the pastor kind of scoffed at me thinking I was being disrespectful yeah. to it, but it was a legit, it was a right. serious question. But now we yeah. can take that into today. And the question yeah. would be, okay, so these pastors want their congregants yeah. to come to the church, do they think right. that God's going to keep them from getting sick? Because yeah. that's all they're doing really is opening themselves up to potentially infecting other congregants and parishioners and people getting sick. And then the church now is being responsible for going out and spreading it yeah. in the community because the pastors weren't yeah. responsible enough and, and using common sense yeah. and, and like yourself, yeah. using yeah. other methods to, uh, you know, have, have Sunday service. Well, no, I tell you, son, that is, that is dead on. And, and, you know, um, you know, on the communion issue, you know, there, there have been pastors, uh, in different, uh, groups, you know, over the years that have, um, used that, 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 that common cup. And yet, um, you know, most, you know, anymore, it seems like stay away from that just because, you know, if something like that's going to be more of a distraction, which it is for a lot of people, um, then, you know, maybe in your home, you know, let's say you as a pastor, you know, you're having communion in your home with your family or something. And, but, but when you're going to ask everybody in a congregation, I know there are churches who, who offer both, but, but, you know, so, so we could spend time on that issue. Uh, I, I guess, um, I, I would say though, back to like the pastors and, and like the churches, uh, where they're having a gathering still today. Um, we, we also, we temper that and we balance that sign also with the realization that there are going to be Christians and have been for 2000 years who've been called to do things that really don't fit in line with common sense. But for example, to go to an area where Christianity is being persecuted and go and share the gospel and, and you may very well lose your life, but if they feel God calling them to go, you know, most Christians, you know, and you and I would certainly say, well, I mean, Hey, we want to support that 110% because, 
Um, if that's what God's calling you, wow, what a high calling you have, and the world won't applaud you, and, and it, that's not common sense, that's above. That, that's a sanctified reason that, that God will give people um, to, to, to enter a calling that is risky, but that's done under prayer, and, and, there, and, and so we have to remember, I mean, the Christian life, again, this goes back to uh, common sense without faith is rationalism. You know, if we only had common sense, we'd have no missionaries. We would, we would never take a risk on anything. So again, it, it comes back to the situation that we're talking about. And um, when, when, when it comes to, well, how about this? Who, who rose so far above common sense more than our Lord did when he came down here to earth, put himself into this situation, um, knowing that what was going to happen? The father knew what was going to happen. The son was sent here for that purpose. Um, there was nothing about common sense. It was all sanctified reason. Nobody has perfect sanctified reason like our Lord. Everything he thinks is perfect. Everything he decides is perfect. Everything he chooses to do is perfect. Um, 100%. Uh, there is never anything that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit do that is in any way tainted with imperfection or sin. So um, that is so far above. Think about the term common sense. It's common, you know, so you kind of have that just by being a human being. At least many people do. That's why it's called common. Sanctified reason or, you know, and, and this, you know, belief would, would really fall then into, into that realm where you're believing something that it doesn't seem reasonable to, let's say, certain atheists maybe, but, but because they don't have sanctified reason. They don't have God's perspective on it. So, again, we have to see what we're talking about, but when we're talking about something like Christians gathering, in, in, in an area for, for worship, um, you know, it just doesn't seem to go along with common sense or faith to say, we're going we're gonna to kind of, you know, test God in this way. To me, it is, it's similar to those churches, uh, you know, wherever they're at, that say, well, you know, the Bible talks about handling snakes and, and, and being able to pick up snakes, so we're going to do that in our Sunday service. Well, you don't, that's not the way you are to approach um, that, that's sort of an issue. And, and I just think that the churches that are, are meeting and inviting people together in a group, um, it's only going to, not only is it going to lead to more deaths and, and people who didn't need to die unnecessarily, but it's also going to be, I think, a very poor witness. Um, you know, this is one of those things, Son, where we are, you know, in it with everybody else. We are trying to fight a common enemy uh, along with everybody, not only in our nation, but, but in the world who's fighting this. So, um, this is not, you know, this overlaps both the kingdom of God, but also just um, the world in which we live and trying to make sense of it and trying to make reasonable decisions. So um, you have to have sensible Christians um, who, who are um, listening to the wisdom of others and not just so isolating themselves that they come up with some of these kooky decisions that end up uh, just killing people because those decisions should never have been made in the first place. Dan Delzell with me. We're talking about death taxes and life's uncertainties and more about death and, ta- and uh, life's uncertainties than taxes. He writes at the uh, ChristianPost.com, a lot of articles there, and is also a pastor at a church in Papillion, Nebraska. Dan, we get uh, focused on life here on earth. And in the article, you talk about many quotes or you, you write many quotes about the brevity of life here on earth. How it's just you know a passing, like you mentioned earlier, like the mist that comes up in the morning and then disappears. Um, and our time here on earth, even though in human time could be a long time, 80, 90 years, or it could be short, depending on however life works out for us. Um, 
we kind of get focused on things here on earth, the pleasures of things here on earth. One of the things that I like to do is go to the beach. Can't do that right now because, sure. you know, the beach is closed. Um, maybe people like to go for hikes. People like to go out and eat. Um, you know, we get caught up in our jobs and, and getting money, new cars, things like that. So we, we focus on things here on earth. And there's some cool things that are here on earth. You you know, don't get me wrong. You know, earth is great. But Martin Luther, the theologian, not to be confused with the uh, um, the um, civil rights leader. Civil rights leader, yeah. yeah. But the theologian, Martin Luther, said, I would not give one moment, I would not give up one moment of heaven for all the joy and riches of the world, even if it lasted for thousands and thousands of years. So he mm. says that he would want no time here on earth or give up any time in heaven for the stuff here on earth. Yeah. So we yeah. know what earth is like. We know what our life is like in this world. Can you give us a little bit of idea for people that actually have asked and wondered what heaven's going to be like? I know there's no real answer. And someone told me once yeah. you just reply, whatever you think it is, it's going to be probably a million times better. And I know the Bible writes about little things you, you wrote in the article about, you know, in my father's house yeah. or many mansions. If it were not so, I would yeah. have told you. So we know it's going to be many mansions. It talks about, yeah. you know, streets paved with gold. So we do get a little bit of glimpse. But for people that, you know, because we've talked about in the past, you know, we, we don't have a tangible thing of what heaven is. And so we can only, yeah. as humans, really relate to tangible things because that's why yeah. it needs faith to believe yeah. in God. What, what, what can yeah. we tell people that are, like, wondering at this point in time, you know, okay, Easter's coming, Jesus died, rose again, now we're going yeah. to heaven. What, what's this heaven? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, I, I'll tell you, son, um, you know, you're right. The Bible does not say much about the specifics, but even if it did, son, while we're in these bodies, um, I don't believe we are capable right now of even understanding the depth and the various dimensions that we'll be experiencing in heaven. You know, one thing that I think could help a person to think outside the box a little bit on this, um, and, and, you know, there are certainly books in this genre, I guess, that I, you know, would never encourage somebody to read, uh, but, but several books that, um, that, that deal with a topic, um, not only from a biblical viewpoint, but also from um, an experiential viewpoint. Um, you know, uh, Don Piper, a Baptist minister, uh, wrote, wrote the book, uh, 60 Minutes in Heaven. You know, the, the little boy Colton uh, Burple from Western Nebraska, I uh, had the near-death experience, Heaven is for Real. And that book that uh, my, my mother actually alerted me to, I hadn't even really heard of it, but when she alerted that to me, uh, alerted me to it a couple of years ago, uh, Imagine Heaven, all these near-death experiences of people. Now, I've been very quick as a pastor for 30 years, son, to really downplay uh, almost any experience like that because, you know, we as Christians, we don't base our faith on experience, nor should we, because, you know, who knows? Maybe somebody had a vision. Maybe they had a dream. Maybe maybe it was from the Lord. Maybe it really was heaven. Maybe it wasn't. Scripture is absolute truth. Dreams and visions are just experiences. Having said that, Son, uh, I think those three resources I just mentioned, Imagine Heaven um, and, uh, and then the other two books, I think they give some interesting perspectives for people to think about uh, regarding the colors, the sights, the sounds, the variety, the absolute, just, just utter joy that people have in heaven related to things that are more of this earth than you might think in terms of um, some of just the natural beauty, and, and, but then it expands it so many times over. So if people have this idea 
that that heaven is going to be like, uh, you know, I heard a report one time on the news a few months ago, and 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 we were actually there for a wedding. Uh, my my family, my wife and I here uh, a couple of years ago um, for my niece. I actually uh, conducted her wedding out there in Washington D.C. But anyway, um, people think heaven is like this 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 place with these just sterile buildings. I mean, this report, they hit it dead on. I mean, you know, Washington, D.C. is not a place with, you know, much beautiful architecture, much variety, um, you know, and, and, and people think heaven is even less. It's more sterile. It's just all white. It's boring. You know, nothing could be further from the truth than that. So, you know, I, I do think, though, sometimes these experiences, Son, that people have had, these visions that they've had, it lifts a person's imagination. And that's about all we have to go on right now, Son. That's why I think the title of that book, Imagine Heaven, was good. Um, anything that can lift your um, your understanding a bit to be looking forward to a place where you'll never be bored, you'll never want to leave, you'll never have an unfulfilled desire, you, you, can't ima- you, you couldn't imagine you could have ever experienced anything that incredible and extravagant or seen the sights or smelled the smells or heard the sounds. So it is on, it's like your senses. I think one way maybe Don Piper put it in his book with his, you know, he was covered up with a tarp on a highway for like an hour and he had this experience. And I tell you, um, I, I sure find the man credible. I, I don't think he's doing it to just make money on a book or something like that. In fact, I really appreciate one thing Don Piper said is don't believe in heaven because of my experience. Believe in heaven because what the Bible says about it. And I say amen to that. And then, oh, by the way, Don, what was that experience again? And and Don t- talks about this place. He said it's like your senses are on. I, maybe he said on steroids, but it, it, well, maybe he just called it an explosion of your senses. So, Tom, that's a very very long answer to your question to tell people what would heaven be like. Well, take your senses right now when you had the most incredible sense of sight, sound, taste, touch you know, whatever it has been, now multiply that and then multiply it again and again and again. And and, and we start to see, wow, I I guess it is kind of hard to describe heaven until you've been there, you know? And I guess the main thing to know is that it's the place to go. That's the place we want to desire. It's the place to go. Jesus told that thief on the cross, you know, we're uh, one week away from, from Good Friday today, son, and, and there were two, two there who hung, on, on one on each side of Jesus. Um, one went to his death, rejecting the Lord. The other said, you know, to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, what did he say? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. So everything I just said, son, while it doesn't even begin to just even touch on the fullness of heaven, it at least attempts in our own, you know, poor human way of trying to explain and understand right now, it, it, it attempts to explain that place that Jesus called paradise. So in a world where there's a pandemic uh, today, son, um, there is also paradise in heaven. Uh, it is heaven. It, it is eternal. Uh, you can go there. You can believe the way there, uh, you know, and by believing the truth, just like that, that atheist I talked about earlier, um, it will change your, your life. Christ will change your life. Uh, the Bible talks about the faith that comes from obedience. Um, but you, the only one way to get into heaven is to believe your way in. It's a free gift. It's not given out any other way. You, know, you, you don't earn it. You don't buy it. You can only receive it. Faith is a gift. Do you believe it? And, and so that today, son, is the opportunity that any listener has. Call on Jesus right now. Say, Lord, I want that gift. 
I, I believe in that gift. I receive you as my savior. You're the one you rode into Jerusalem on that donkey when you didn't have to come here. You let them flog you, you know, tear open your back with these metal strips, Lord. And then you let them hang you on a cross. And then hanging on the cross, Jesus, you said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Lord, I want to be one of your disciples. I want to follow you. I want to go to paradise, Lord. I don't know how long I might live. My life is a mist, but I want to be with you. That's the opportunity, Son, that every listener and really everyone has today. Um, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah, and the thing to remember, I think it's uh, is it Philippians where it talks about our citizenship is in heaven. And, that, yeah, and we need to put our faith in God to get to heaven. And that's the, the folks that we should be. You know, we oftentimes, like we mentioned earlier, as we kind of wrap things up here, we focus on the things of this world, which is expected because we are human and we see it and we're people that like to touch. I mean, that's why magic, um, magicians that do card tricks and stuff um, is so yeah. fascinating because it deceives the eyes and without eyes, we can't be deceived. And so then the magic right. is that the card ends up someplace else. And then when you take away the charade of the magic to pull back the curtain, yeah. you're like, oh, that's really boring. But we like that right. the magic because we, we want to see to believe. And sometimes, you know, with God, it's just faith, faith only. We can't see to believe. We have to rely on something unseen and um and that's the beauty of it especially at this time as at at easter and as we move into um palm sunday and the easter season you know god has given us something that like you mentioned the thief on the cross we don't a deserve and b we don't have to do anything to get it except believe and have faith and then god gives it to us and the price has been paid and jesus did that paid that price on the cross. And so as we move and continue to move through the uh, the crisis here on earth with the pandemic of the coronavirus, as we move into the Easter season, the religious holiday, mm-hmm. people are more in tune to maybe religion, maybe Christianity. Um, you know, I know a lot of people out here in, in Los Angeles, you know, um, their culture is the Catholic church and, and the Catholic church uh, has a spike in attendance during the holiday season too of Easter because a lot of people go back to church. Maybe it's an opportunity yeah. for us to, you know, to be there, to be that witness like Jesus at the well. We don't have to Bible thump people. We could just be right. there, share our testimony, share our experience, share why we are calm. You know, a lot of people are running around with masks on and gloves on and they're paranoid and they're hoarding essentials yeah. because there's a panic. Yeah. But yet, you know, we maybe can display why we have peace, why we have a calmness to us and be able to share that just through our example to other people, why we are different from the rest of the world, because we have this faith in God, because we know no matter what, he's going to take care of us. No matter what, we know that our time here on earth is brief. And even though death from the coronavirus or anything else is sad. As a Christian, it's our ticket. We're punching that ticket home. We're opening that gift that Christ left for us at the foot of the cross when yeah. he died. Yeah. You know, And yeah. so um, maybe it's just an opportunity for yeah. us to, to think about the opportunities that are presented to us to share while we're standing six feet away from each other at the grocery store line that's taken up to 30, yeah. 40 minutes to check out. Well, there, there you go, Son. And I think it's important right along that same vein of just those excellent thoughts you just shared. To, to also remind Christians and, and unbelievers that Christianity is not a blind faith, that it's not just merely, you know, some mystical feelings that are based on some, you know, um, some uh, fable that was told. You know, I, I heard um, the Governor Cuomo, Governor Cuomo of New York, uh, used an interesting way of describing here this week um, what he relies on with his Staff. And, and, and he said, you know, what he, what he really wants from people is not just their theory or their opinion. He said, I want the facts. You know, I want the facts. And I believe that was also maybe what years ago in that TV show, Dragnet, you know, just give me the facts, okay? 
Well, here's the, one of the really foundational things of Christianity, son, and that is that it's built on facts. I mean, think about this, for example. The very first disciples who went out with the message of the resurrection, was their faith, uh, was it based on feelings or an evidence, or was it merely, or was it some sort of blind faith? Well, obviously it was based on facts because they saw and touched the risen Lord. Thomas, in fact, although he gets a, a bad rap for being doubting Thomas, he merely wanted evidence. That was not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be skeptical. I think maybe we talked about this last week that it's not a bad thing for these coronavirus scientists to be skeptical of anecdotal evidence until there's been maybe um, some sort of, of clinical test done. Uh, you know, when I, when I hear a doctor this week uh, from New York, a renowned, well, I think it might have been New York, but a renowned doctor say that he's had like 73 patients on and seriously ill from coronavirus. And he's given all 73 of them hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. And in every case, not one of them had to be incubated. Not one of them had a ventilator and not one of them has died. They all recovered. That is some pretty strong evidence. And this is what people want to want to base their faith on uh, when it comes to what sh- what drug should I t- uh, trust for coronavirus? Okay. Um, well, hey, how about what savior should I trust for the salvation of my soul? How about the one who appeared to his disciples? And the way that you know he had to have appeared to his disciples is if he hadn't, those scared, dejected followers would never have gone out and preached the message. They never would have gone out and, and died for the message that they did. Many of them were martyred for their faith. Happened. This is absolute proof. Um, and, and then when you add the mathematical certainty of the fulfilled prophecies, 300 prophecies in Christ, uh, that the miracles that he performed, uh, and that he went, to, uh, went uh, into Jerusalem on a donkey, and why were they shouting praises? Because of the miracles he performed? I tell you, son, when you add all this together, it's absolutely impossible that Jesus is not the Messiah. It's mathematically um, a certain. It's biblically certain. Um, there is no, there's not even a, a, a minute possibility that he's not the savior of the world. And so Christianity is not only an evidence-based faith, it gives us absolute certainty. At the end of the day, though, son, when we talk about heaven and hell and trusting Jesus to forgive your sins, that does take a step of faith. And with all the evidence out there, if a person hardens his heart, you know, as I wrote in an article one time years ago, moral reasoning is deeper. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Moral resistance is deeper than intellectual reasoning. So, I mean, you could, you could, you know, you could give somebody all the evidence in the world, but man's sin is so perverted that he'll still say no to God, even in the face of all that evidence. So, uh, but, but I say all that just to say, son, our faith is an evidence-based faith. If it wasn't, who in the world would believe in it? Who in the world would put, I mean, you know, you mentioned like the Jim Jones cult. I mean, sure, there are fanatics in cults that, that, that put their faith in things that have no facts, but God never asked one Christian to do that. Instead, he gave us all the facts we could ever want, practically, and he says, here, believe this, and then come to heaven. So how, how cool is that? That is very cool. Dan Delzell, thank you so much. He is the author of uh, many articles at thechristianpost.com, also a uh, pastor at a church in Papillion, Nebraska. Uh, Death, Taxes, and Life's Uncertainties is what we talked about today, and you can read the article on thechristianpost.com. Dan, you mentioned Sunday service. For people that might be listening and need a place to see a Sunday service, where can they find you at? Well, I tell you what, if they were to go to um, 
Redeemer uh, Church in Papillion, Nebraska, P-A-P-I-L-L-I-O-N, to our Facebook page, Son. The last couple Sundays, I've had my uh, my message uh, on there. Uh, and, and again, this Sunday and Easter and going forward for now, while we're not meeting, you know, as a group. And so uh, just to uh, Redeemer Church in Papillion, the Facebook page, uh, and, uh, you know, Pastor Dan Delzell, I'm the pastor there. And uh, so I'd love to invite folks to check that out and just to be encouraged by uh, by those messages. Dan, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Your email again real quick is? Is Dan Delzell at Cox.net. Uh, D-A-N-D-E-L-Z-E-L-L at Cox.net. If you'd like to reach out to him and send him an email, maybe questions or topics or, you know, clarifications by all means uh reach out you can find me on instagram at edem rocks e-i-d-e-m-r-o-c-k-s you can dm me um also my email is son at gmail.com but dan thanks so much we appreciate your time uh great as always and we look forward to our next visit oh I, i'll look forward to that as well son and we just uh pray every every listener has has just a blessed uh, palm sunday and holy week and easter and we'll sure look forward son to doing this again here uh hopefully next week Thank you much. Uh, thanks so much, Dan. Thank you for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.